out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where a bunch or sometimes a couple of people gather around a table and we talk about the films that you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film is Top Gun, not to be confused with the uh, reality series Top Shot, in which people do a lot of shooting and try to shoot well. Whoops. I think I watched the wrong one. Oh, no. No, indeed. We are going to be looking at a Tom Cruise vehicle in which he drives a flying vehicle. That's true. Uh, It's an It is flying. And so we're going to talk Top Gun. We have only two in the studio. It's back to a two-man show. We're hanging fast and loose. We got no notes. We got no net. That's right, guys. We're going to bring you the thunder no matter what, no matter what the situation and the circumstance. In the studio with me today is our illustrious producer, the ethereal Sasquatch himself. Introduce yourself. I am Arthur Gordon, and this podcast is about combat. There are no points for second place. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. My name is Dustin Sells, and all I have to say to you right now, Mr. Arthur Gordon, about your proposition earlier, negative Ghost Rider. That pattern <laughs> is full. And uh, we are so... Dustin, mm-hmm. I just want you to know, you can ride my tail anytime. Hey, you can watch mine. <laughs> Oh, uh, we're going to talk about that little gay reading here a little bit. We actually have a special guest who is going to speak to that particular issue, and you do not want to miss. It is a person of some fame and fortune, and you will be glad to hear the words coming out of this person's mouth. But I am ahead of myself. We need to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show, and that means we will spoil this film, and uh, you will find out about the great heroic character arc of uh, one Thomas J. Cruz. I don't know what his middle name is. I don't uh, I don't know. I, I believe it's Norman. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Thomas Norman Cruz. Perfect. I, I mean, why not? And so uh, we are going to be spoiling that, but we'll not do that until we give our uh, synopsis from the voice of the cinema, that is Mr. Arthur Gordon, and then we will uh, move on to a quick thumbs up, thumbs down review from the two of us and play our game. There will be some spoiler possibility during the game, but it is full on spoilers ahead once we get down to business and start bringing some analysis. Uh, The analysis format today will be more of a round or in this case square table conversation since it's only two of us. Yes. And we're looking directly, deeply into one another's eyes, yeah, much like Iceman and Maverick. And uh, it's going to be very, very fun for that. So let's move on to that synopsis. Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, let's hear what Top Gun is all about. As students at the United States Navy's elite fighter weapons school compete to be the best in the class, one daring young pilot learns a few things from a civilian instructor that are not taught in the classroom (laughs) brown chicken brown cow oh yeah that's right we're gonna be talking about this it's gonna be so much fun arthur what do you think do you like this movie what do you think thumbs up thumbs down and uh, give me a few words of review i hated this movie what i despised this movie i do not understand why it was a cultural phenomenon i do not understand why it was the highest grossing film in 1986 um I think that it is vanilla. Uh, that's actually an insult to vanilla. I think this is just <laughs> frozen milk. Um, 
I think it is poorly scripted, and as far as the dialogue, I feel like all of the characters are completely flat and disposable uh, outside of Maverick. I hate that Maverick's name is Maverick, and they hammer in the idea that he is a Maverick. I feel like that is way too on the nose throughout the film. I do not like that uh, Val Kilmer as Iceman is completely underused here, uh, outside of being just Maverick's foil who kind of shows up randomly. I don't feel like any of the conflicts ever really build uh, to anything of worth. I don't like Goose's story arc uh, just because of the way it's handled, and we can't really get into that right now. Um, uh, I feel like everybody of note is wasted here. Meg Ryan is wasted. Um, Arthur Edwards. You stud. Take me to bed or lose me forever. I mean, come on. Goodness gracious. Great balls of fire. <laughs> Tom Skerritt is wasted. Uh, I feel like nobody in this film is written well enough to even be to like cartoon levels of characters. I feel like they're just given some scripted words and they tried their best to make it work. Um, and I like Tom Cruise. I, I really do. But I feel like he has played this role much better in other films, uh, including Tony Scott's uh, Days of Thunder. Uh, where I think he does a better job of playing that hot shot, uh, uh, you know, up and comer. Uh, and uh, I think he does it a lot better there. I don't like the direction and the editing of the, the dog fights. They're really hard for me to follow um, because everything just looks the same. And so I had to pay very close attention and try to figure out because it was like, oh, there's a shot of an airplane. There's a shot of another airplane. Now there's two airplanes in the shot, which is which. And so I kept kind of getting confused. I was following that. Um, and I just don't think a lot of that stuff was put together very well. Uh, so I feel like someone kind of uh, dropped the ball there. Uh, overall, yeah, I just don't like this movie at all. Wow. I'm, I'm so amazed. I'll say it backwards. Wow, <laughs> Arthur Gordon. Um, I, I really cannot even believe to be in the same room sharing oxygen with you at this Too point. Too bad, sucker. I know, right? Give me my air back. Uh, but no, this is, movie, this is a movie that is near and dear to my heart. I've got the nostalgia goggles. I have a um, giant glass of nostalgia uh, sitting before me as I uh, drink in this film. And it is a film that is a lot of fun. I do find the editing to be um, really kind of impressive for the dogfights. Uh, I think it beats George Lucas uh, in what, what happens with Star Wars. I think I get much more confused going who's who, what's what, Red 6, who's that, Red 9, I don't even know, Gold 3, Green Leader. I, I, I don't even know or care about these characters. Uh, as far as like differentiation between the various MiG fighters, they are nameless, faceless Russian agents, of course. But that's fine. Um, it is the Cold War, and that's what they did uh, during that time. But uh, for, for my money, I think it's a lot of fun. Now, I, I don't expect a lot of this movie, and that, that's, that's part of what I am doing coming into it. This is a movie I've seen several times. This is your first watch, you're saying, Arthur? Correct. Okay. Yeah, this is the first time I've seen it. And so I, I do have a lower bar. I mean, it does not uh, you know, raise the level of sort of a diehard action film, and I get that, or a predator, um, you know, and those kinds of films. And so that's totally fine. I get that. But that being said, knowing what it is and sort of having that expectation, this is a fun popcorn, huge budget. We're going to see fast planes moving really, really fast, and we're going to see all that sort of stuff. I, I like it. I, I feel like the characters uh, are doing what they're supposed to do because they are sort of hollow shells. But that's that's the intention, is that we put together a team with a couple little 
cute little team um, adages that, that sort of, you know, okay, I know what this guy's about, I know what this guy's about, and, you know, that's totally fine. Um, I did love to see Mr. Strickland from the uh, Back to the Future films. Uh, <laughs> that pleased me in crazy ways. Also, uh, Walker, Texas Rangers assistant uh, that was there working. So there's a fun little, like, 80s, you know, uh, Guess Who game that's working on uh, throughout the film, and that, of course, is a thing that always makes me happy. I feel like it's very, very well paced. I think the action and the love story balances quite well. Um, I don't care for the love story very much, but I never do. And uh, so that's just a me thing. But there's enough uh, going back and forth between them. And I will give you this. Um, the ultimate of the tests is if it's able to hold the attention of, say, a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old. Any generic yeah. 12-year-olds and 9-year-olds. I exposed uh, certain test subjects uh, to the film, much like Gladys from Portal. And uh, my test subjects were forced to watch this film and had a ball. They were zooming around the room with arms wide and uh, doing uh, fighter jet movements uh, with one another. And then I had to sadly tell my glasses-wearing 12-year-old, you'll never get to fly a fighter plane. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. Even if you get the surgery, you're out. And um, he almost cried, and that made me really disappointed because a day without tears is like a day without sunshine. Did you see this in theaters? I did not. Okay. I did not. No, it was uh, it was on a. I had a VHS. I recorded off a of premium cable, like most of the movies that I saw um, in the younger parts of my life. Yeah, I had a lot of friends who really dug this movie when I was a kid. I just never. My dad wasn't a huge Tom Cruise fan growing up, and so mm. it wasn't like something we were going to rush out to see or watch. And so when I finally got, you know, I've just never got around to watching it until now. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of movies, and that's what we say all the time on the show. Are there? You know? Yeah. What? Are there a lot? There's a lot of movies. And dear listener, uh, this is just a time for good time for a fun note since we do have a, a skeleton crew at work. We're just a two man, you know, got a pilot and we've got a real man here working uh, in in the studio today. <laughs> and so uh, we've got the opportunity here to uh, just take a moment and say this. You know, we're cinephiles. We are people who are really into movies. And there's a lot of movies we've not seen. And uh, we. I often get this thing that happens to me, and I think, Arthur, you do the same thing, both of us having graduate degrees yeah. in film studies, is I say, oh, well, you study movies. Have you seen? And then fill in the blank. Yeah. And then when you say no, what do they say? What? How can, How dare you be gone from my presence? Yeah, you're not legit now because yeah. you haven't seen X film, whatever X yeah. film happens to be. You know, I've never seen Joe Dirt. Um, it is a movie that I catch some grief over sometimes. I would, I'm not opposed to seeing Joe Dirt. Have you seen Joe Dirt? I have. Okay. Well, I mean, that, that's what I mean. Yeah. There's a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, before this week, have you seen Talk Ben? Nope. Nope. See, that's my point. And uh, there's a lot of movies, dear listener. And so what we're going to tell you is this. We remain confident in ourselves as cinephiles, and uh, we are unflappable in our confidence and perhaps bravado and ego, but we'll not get into that at this moment. And we want you to do the same. Um, if you haven't got to a film, it's okay. This is a safe place. Do not be ashamed. It's not your fault. It's not your fault, Will. It's not your fault. Moving directly along, though, um, I think you see that we have a divided table. It is a house-slash-apartment <laughs> divided, a studio divided. Uh, there will be warfare. Who's the MiG fighter? Who's the F-14? I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Who will win out in the end? We will find out uh, throughout the rest of this week's show. But I think now it might just be time to play the game. Time to play the game. Dear listener, this is a very special game this week. Um, In the uh, film Top Gun, all of the characters have fun pirate nicknames, I would say. Um, It's a jolly 
pirate club with jolly pirate nicknames. If you know the film reference there just now, dear listener, <laughs> tweet me and I will send you a prize. Uh, moving right along. And we're going to play a game without the rest of our co-hosts here in which we name the Good Trash Genre Cast crew uh, with Top Gun style nicknames. Arthur, I'm going to let you go first, brother. What do you got to say? All right. Well, this was fun. I was trying to think, you know, without being insulting of anybody, but that may or may not happen all the way down the line. Uh, God bless everybody that's not here. Uh, I'm going to start off with Caleb Masters, our most recent addition to the family, um, who spent a good deal of time in Arizona uh, in the years past and has family in Arizona. And I was thinking of that connection. And you know what I thought would be a cool call name for a pilot? Sun Devil. Fun. I, like I thought that. that would be very apropos. I think it would look cool on a helmet, and you know, it's really cool because all these guys have their colors and their helmets, and they all match their names, mm-hmm. and that's fun. And so, I think you could do some fun gimmick stuff with the uh, the Sun Devil, and, and you could shorten it just you call him Devil or Sun if it's Dustin. But um, yeah. you know, I think that works. And the next uh, for Alex uh, going back, which we'll just do these back chronologically. Uh, for Alex, I would call her Hedwig. Playing Hedwig. off of her very Potter good. fandom. Uh, she's loyal. She's always got your back. She's very smart and just a darling to be around and just a joy of the heart. And so I think that would be a great call name for her when we're flying through the air. you know. And Hedwig, now it makes perfect sense to be named after now if you're flying. Um, next, I'm going to say Dalton. And here we are. I'm going to call him Motormouth. <laughs> it works. It does work. And so I, you know, Mr. Motormouth always has my back. Um, he'll always be my wingman by our side. And the name says it all for Dalton. And finally, with Dustin, it didn't take much because I instantly went to one uh, area of his fandom, and that is vampires. And so I think I would call Dustin Orlock. Orlock. I love it. Uh, referencing, I, I figured that was. Uh, maybe a bit more obscure than just calling him Dracula. We went with Count Orlock from uh, Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that would be very fitting of a man who doesn't age. That's good. I like that very much. Thank you uh, for that bit of gameplay, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, also, I picked a state reference for one Caleb Masters. Okay. Um, he's originally from Indiana, so I yeah. was going to call him Hoosier. <laughs> it just sort of makes sense that way, yeah. you know. So um, I would call Caleb Hoosier, uh, moving backward as we have to Alex. Um, Alex is a huge fan of the wrestling and also is uh, involved at times in the art of bodybuilding. And so she's quite clearly She-Hulk. Oh, uh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she can uh, give like the purple and green trim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd be I a dig good, it. That'd be a sick helmet, yeah. really. I mean, it'd be really, really rad uh, for that. Moving on to uh, one uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, uh, who happens to be the shortest member of the podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, there's another film that I was thinking about, uh, a Mel Gibson film, We Were Soldiers, yeah. in which uh, there is, and I'm, so I'm, so I'm stealing a name of another pilot uh, yeah. nickname. Uh, there's a pilot who's very, very tall, and another pilot who's with him, and uh, but the, the other pilot's uh, called Snake, because he flies low lower than snake crap and so <laughs> i'm gonna call dalton snake uh because it sounds kind of awesome also because he's the shortest one below us all when you mentioned his height i thought you were just going to call him tom cruise tom cruise <laughs> 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 that's that's pretty fantastic um arthur is um um he is a big brutal man and uh you know we've called him the ethereal sasquatch quite a lot so i'm going to move away from that even though sasquatch i think is uh quite appropriate but i also have recently just rewatched a great film uh called bloodsport starring one jean-claude van damme <laughs> and so uh this particular guy 
I'm thinking about his buddy, and I don't know the actor's name, but he's best known uh, for a character he played in Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, I'm going to call Arthur Ogre. I can I can go with that. You can get behind ogre. Yeah. Ogres are like onions. They, 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 they have layers. You know, they're kind of like parfait. You know, parfait got layers. <laughs> and in the morning, I'm making waffles. <laughs> so there you go, dear listener. Feel free to name the Good Trash Crew however you see Oh, yes. Fit. Dear God, please do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Please. I mean, okay. Daniel my- Austin, Keithan, chime in. Brigham, let us know. Yeah, we are naming you out there, guys. We really want this. And honestly... Don't be nice. No, Fran, Fran, you've been listening Fran, for a while. Fran, you have been listening a long time. You Fran. throw them out there, man. You, you know us. Yeah, that would be um, outstanding. There are a great many of you other frequent and regular listeners out there. Um, we love you all equally. We're just you know trying to save up the airtime, but we know you're out there, and we would love to hear from any and all of you uh, your list of good trash Top Gun names. Now, that's some fun gameplay. We're going to talk about how you can participate in the game, because we've said you should, but you might not know how. And that would happen, I don't know, via those magical means that we call social media. Arthur, can you tell us about that? Uh, certainly, Dustin. There are a number of ways you can get in touch with us, so you can uh, name us, and we are definitely looking forward to that. Uh, first, you can go to facebook.com forward slash goodtrashmedia. We post all of our shows, articles, everything like that there. You can keep in touch. Go there. Click the like button. And let us know, uh, what would you call Dustin? What kind of uh, name have you got uh, just at the tip of your tongue that you want to let him know what he's what he is please be unkind <laughs> in fact make two lists make a kind one and an unkind oh one. yeah oh that would be fun. yeah that'd be a blast um we're gonna refrain from doing that here so as not to hurt anybody because we love all of our co-hosts um well i do um, <laughs> i love them too <laughs> <laughs> uh after Facebook, you can find us on Twitter at good underscore trash. Same, same, same spiel, just a different social media. Uh, you can let us know right here on the page at goodtrashmedia.com and let us know what you're thinking, as well as going over to patreon.com forward slash GTM. If you like what you're hearing, if you like what we're doing, go over there and consider contributing. <laughs> That's That alliteration is hard. Or volunteer yourself <laughs> as tribute. And we're not quite sure what you need to do. Either one. If, 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 if you like what we do, then go over there. Show us some support if you can. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. We've had a good number of patrons uh, jump on board, and they've just been a darling to work with. And so uh, we would love to hear from you in any of those formats. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I believe now it is time to get down to business. It's business. Yeah, that's right. We got some business we are going to bring to you all, and that business is analysis. And we're going to have conversational analysis uh, with this particular film, and I'm very, very excited to be doing that. Again, stay tuned, dear listener. There will be a guest drop-in here before very long. But, Arthur, I want to ask you a question. Yes. I know we talked a little off mic about some observations you made, and uh, one of those that you mentioned was the use of product placement what were you talking about uh well there are a number of moments and it kind of ties into another thing i mentioned that is propaganda because i think they go hand in hand here with the specific products that they are placing um we see a number of you know pepsi products and stuff and there is the obvious i believe was a diet pepsi or diet coke commercials that were filmed uh with the top gun theme correct uh, yes to uh, promote those products um, and so we see that a number of times, and it's something that we've never talked about for some reason on the show is product placement, especially in blockbusters, because that is one of the kind of uh, 
something that's coming to become a joke of and a critique of blockbusters is that product placement, especially if you think of something like I Am Legend, which is just filled to the brim, or iRobot, anything with Will Smith, essentially at this point, is just full of product placement. And, and you know, the films can use that money to finance their film or whatever they're doing, their marketing campaign, uh, what have you. Uh, and so I think it's key. But the, the big thing here, the big product placement here is the Navy. Um, this yes. is a movie about a naval team who have gone to this elite school. Uh, and there are a number of times, you, you know, the way they portray this, it's very heroic adventure. Uh, you know, there, you know, there's really nothing wrong with what is going on here. And there's, you know, it's, it, it's very, um, n- kind of a perfect place to be. It's a, you know, you watch this movie as a kid, I'm sure you'd really be interested in winning, uh, the air force or the Navy and becoming, you know, a pilot with the Navy or what have you. And I think that is something that's really reinforced here in the film. And we see several posters, uh, throughout the film, even on the Naval base and at the school, uh, Navy poster recruitment posters, mm-hmm. uh, saying that this is the adventure. There's one scene where Tom Cruise goes to sit on the bench. I believe he's in the locker room and he sits down on the bench and right beside him is a Navy poster too. You know, this is the best adventure of your life or whatever their tag was. Um, and so I just find it very interesting because, uh, in real life, um, I was reading that, uh, the Navy would go set up at theaters where this was playing and use it for recruitment uh, to try to get people to sign up to join the Navy. And I think that's just a very interesting tactic. And we've seen a couple of other movies where this has kind of been a thing. Uh, we look at, um, a few good men and we look back at, uh, which is kind of a critique of the Navy, but we look at, um, Starship Troopers, which is based on a book that was kind of a core ingredient of the learning of you know the different parts of the military uh and their you know kind of move up through the training and boot camp oh, it's, and all it's stuff. a required text for uh the marine yeah. officer training school yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and so it's it's you know this is one of those movies that especially coming out of you know we're out of vietnam you know this is 1986 so we're past vietnam we haven't got to desert storm yet i don't believe and you know post-cold war and uh, it's really interesting to see this in light of everything that, say, Oliver Stone was doing or that or Francis Ford Coppola was doing Apocalypse Now. And then we had Platoon with Oliver Stone. And it's actually really interesting to me that just three years later, Tom Cruise is going to go on to be in uh, Born on the Fourth of July, another kind of scathing indictment of Vietnam. And even Stanley Kubrick with Full Metal Jacket. So we've had that kind of. Uh, cycle or push of these kind of anti-Vietnam films, kind of anti-war films. And to see this kind of as a pure propaganda machine was just kind of very interesting because it's not anything that we had seen since maybe the 40s, uh, yeah. you know, when the, the uh, when the World War II is going on and Hollywood's kind of being uh, asked to get on board with, you know, these kind of propaganda films to make America look good and look great going into battle and that we are the big brother who is here to serve and protect and so I just I found that very interesting how uh, military how pro navy and pro military this film was and I just thought that was interesting. No, absolutely. I think you're totally right. And you know the use of product placing you mentioned Pepsi products and uh, what have you and whatnot is is a very complicated process in film because there there is a situation in which you must have permission to use the images and logos of particular products, yeah. but yet at the same time, uh, you're usually compensated uh, for your use. And so 
th- there's a strange thing that independent film finds itself struggling with. I, I'm, I'm thinking specifically right now of my screening of Electric Nostalgia uh, at the Dead Center Film Festival, in which clearly uh, MacBook computers are being used, but they have some sort of Coke can thing over that particular yeah. Apple logo. And the thing is, is they're not being paid by Apple. Apple is getting free advertisement, and yet they're not allowed to do that. So it is a very, very complicated world when it comes to uh, the use of product placement. But uh, there's another thing that's going on here. You know, you just talk about the Navy itself as as a thing. But the use of military assets themselves in film, I think, uh, also helps sort of determine the propagandistic nature that those films have. What I mean by that is this, uh, that films that use actual in-service military equipment, and Top Gun did so, they had a great partnership with the United States Navy, um, those films and their scripts are supposed are submitted to the Pentagon and a sub-cabinet that works for the Joint Chiefs of Staff actually reviews these sorts of films and allows uh, them to be either cleared to use military assets or not to be cleared to use military assets, which is really quite fascinating. That is a very fascinating job that uh, I would be very interested in having. <laughs> uh, you know, if you want to make yourself suffer in some ways, you can hear some discussion of this on the director's commentary of Transformers in which Michael Bay talks about uh, some of that oh, use because they are yeah. also using yeah. in-service um, military equipments in the first Transformers film, and I assume in the films that follow. One of the uh, big uh, criticisms, overwhelmingly, of action films is they do tend to be quite conservative and jingoistic and nationalistic, uh, which is a, a similar thing, but not quite as bad. Uh, and 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 then you see these things over and over again. And as you mention, uh, Apocalypse Now, Born on the Fourth of July, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, and these kinds of films, they also you see some pretty heavy military equipment in use. But yeah. these are post-use. Uh, these I guess you'd call military surplus okay. use things. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Apocalypse Now. I think is a great example of what we're talking about here, in which uh, they went to the Philippines, went to Manila to shoot the film, and uh, so these are uh, Hueys that are in retirement, and so he was able to use these. They're older things, uh, older uh, helicopters, older machines that are being used, and uh, was able to make the film he wanted to make. He could not use the current uh, Hueys uh, that were in service because uh, he was not going to be allowed to make some sort of anti-war statement, especially uh, in the year in which Apocalypse Now is released so close you know, and embroiled in the period of yeah. the Vietnam era itself. And uh, so when you're looking for this sort of thing in film and you begin to see that it takes a more negative stance towards the military, overwhelmingly when that film is being made and it's using assets of some sort, you can almost tell if they're using in-service in the most contemporary and up-to-date Harriers or whatever sort yeah. of jets. And I, I'm a plane nerd. I, could, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I very, very badly wanted to be a fighter pilot myself. I try to make my son cry in the same way I did when I, kinda, <laughs> I had to have eyeglasses. And so I, I love planes, and I think they're very, very fascinating um, machines. But that being said, when you, when you see that sort of pro-military tact taken, not always is the case, because sometimes the arrangements and the uh, sort of political uh, strength of of the studio may not be there to make the connection, but if it does tend towards uh, a somewhat more conservative angle, which I believe Top Gun does, as far as its uh, military nationalism, uh, you'll you'll normally find that they are working in concert with uh, United States military and uh, have produced films with scripts that have been censored. Uh, by the Pentagon, which is something interesting to say, I think, altogether. Um, Now, another thing that you mentioned off mic, Arthur, that I thought was uh, really quite interesting was uh, the uh, sort of shift from the male gaze used in the films of Howard Hawks and how that may apply to Top Gun. Yeah, I I believe it's in uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, the Marilyn Monroe film. Um, There's a moment in that film where Marilyn is doing something, and Hawks 
uh, chooses and opts to use his camera to not gaze upon her body, but upon uh, the unclothed body of the men that are surrounding her, the very in shape. Uh, I, I can't remember if they're dancers or you know what they were doing, um, but for some reason, you know, maybe swimmers, but for some reason they, uh, they had their clothes removed except for their trunks. And uh, in that moment, he puts the camera and focuses the camera's gaze on their bodies. And then that's something that we see here. Uh, we have a movie that has a very beautiful Kelly McGillis. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the you know romantic lead role uh, opposite of Tom Cruise, and we also get Meg Ryan, who I already mentioned is kind of underused, but Meg Ryan would you know kind of go on to become a icon of the rom com. I hear in the she's next pretty. Years. She is. She's you know yeah, yeah she's she's adorable. Yeah, yeah she's she America's is. sweetheart. Man, she is. Yeah. Um, more on that when we get to Joe's Volcano someday. Uh, uh, yes. But um, anyway, there's a sequence in this film, and it'll probably tie into something else we'll talk about later. Uh, but there's a sequence in this film where uh. Iceman and his wingman go up against uh, Maverick and Goose uh, in a game of volleyball. Yes. Often the sequence is portrayed in slow motion. Mm -hmm. Uh, The men are shirtless in the sand and in the sun, sweating, glistening, and they are flexing uh, and posing for the camera in a very unusual way if you were playing a volleyball game. Um, with other dudes. Yeah. It's actually completely typical if you were playing with a female partner, perhaps. Correct. In a heteronormative sense. Yes, but here we have this uh, very interesting focus on the male form, uh, and it, nothing, it's nothing that we ever really see with Kelly McGillis, even when the there are the sex scenes. Uh, and it's alluded to. I don't think it's actually a blatant sex scene they no. make out, but um, even in those moments, we never get that male gaze on her body. And even her clothing and her costume, I don't think, ever really gives away, you know, anything uh, male gazy in relation to her body. Uh, but everything done with the men, we are constantly in the locker room seeing them uh, without their clothes on. There are a number of times where they're just in their towels or underwear, just kind of posing by the wall. And oh, and just, those men are cut. Yeah. These guys are in shape. I don't know if Tim Robbins is because we never see him in these. Yeah, I'm going to go with probably not. That's why he didn't have a shower scene. Uh, But Kilmer and Cruz are cut, and Mm -hmm. and the rest of the guys. Uh, I can't think of Kilmer's uh, wingman, Iceman's uh, partner. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's it's just fascinating to me to see that kind of uh, subversion of the the male gaze that we would normally see, where we'd normally see uh, women in bikinis playing volleyball in that same sequence. It would be the exact same sequence, but it would be with women or, uh, you know, girls walking around. I actually just watched uh, Bring It On. Uh, the other night and uh there's a lot of that you know these uh, high school cheerleaders in the locker room you know just bouncing around in their sports bras or whatever you know it's very male gazy throughout that film and that's kind of the norm especially with a blockbuster and i think for this to kind of subvert that is i don't know i wouldn't say groundbreaking but it's a very interesting choice at least no i think you're absolutely right and uh, part of what that does is it alludes to um there's a lot of writing um, out there uh, about the uh, the gay reading of this film that there's actually there's a love triangle it's not just with Kelly McGillis but there's a love uh, connection between Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer and uh, we've got a special guest uh, coming in uh, this is a voice you'd like to hear I'm Quentin Tarantino sir what do you have to say about the uh, the gay reading of Top Gun you want subversion on a massive level you know what one of the greatest fucking scripts ever written in the history of Hollywood is what Top Gun Top Gun is fucking great. What is Top Gun? You think it's a story about a bunch of fighter pilots? Yeah, it's about a bunch of guys waving their dicks around. It is a story about a man's struggle with his own homosexuality. That's serious. That is what Top Gun is about, man. You've got Maverick, 
all right? He's on the edge, man. He's right on the fucking line, all right? And you've got Iceman and all his crew. Right. They're gay. And they, are, they represent the gay man, right. all right? And they're saying, go. Go the gay way. Go the gay way. He could go both ways. But not Kelly McGillis, right? Kelly McGillis, she's, she's, she's heterosexuality. She's saying, no, 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 no. Go the normal way. Play by the rules. Go the normal way. And they're saying, no. Go the gay way. Be the gay way. Go for the gay way. All right? That is what's going on throughout that whole movie. He goes to her house, right? All right? It looks like they're going to have sex. You know, they're just kind of sitting back. He's taking a shower and everything. They don't have sex. He gets on the motorcycle, drives away. She's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on here? Right. Next scene. Next scene you see her, she's in the elevator, she is dressed like a guy. She's got the, the cap on, she's got the aviator glasses, she's wearing the same jacket that the Iceman wears. She is, okay, this is how I gotta get this guy. This guy's going towards the gateway. So I gotta bring him back, I gotta bring him back from the gateway. So I'm gonna do that through subterfuge, I'm gonna dress like a man, alright? That is how she, she, she approaches it. Right, okay. But the real ending of the movie is when they fight the Migs at the end, all right, because he has passed over into the gayway. They are this gay fighting fucking force, all right, and they're beating the Russians. The gays are beating the Russians, all right, and it's over, and they fucking land, and Iceman's been trying to get Maverick the entire time. Finally, he's got him, all right, and what is the last fucking line that they have together? They're all hugging and kissing and happy with each other, and Ice comes up to Maverick, and he says, man, you can ride my tail in this time. And what does Maverick say? Maverick, you Sir, you are wrong in no way. Uh, I, I, I have to say that's completely accurate. And thanks again for coming on the show, Dustin. We, I don't know how you got Mr. Tarantino in my studio, but I'm I'm very impressed and kind of bubbling over with joy right now. You know, I do what I can. You know, Dalton thinks he can get some interviews, but I can get some interviews too here and there. To be fair. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, suck it, Dalton. Uh, that's what I want to say. That's what happens when you don't show up. You miss Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think he's absolutely right. And you were mentioning another moment that is um, heavy with uh, gay subtext earlier uh, in the film. What was that, Arthur? Uh, yeah, there's a moment. Okay, so it's after Cruz has gone to, after Maverick has gone to Top Gun, which is a weird name for this piloting school that they go to. Um, they're there, and we've already known that he's met Iceman, Val Kilmer's character, uh, but they don't really interact outside of maybe a line or two here until they go to a bar. They're at a bar. Uh, Maverick and Goose are getting drinks, and then Iceman shows up. And there's this interaction between Iceman and Maverick that relays more sexual chemistry than anything that happens between Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis. Uh the way that the characters are blocked on the set, uh, the way that they are interacting with one another, the dialogue delivery, all of these things have a very um, kind of serendipitous moment, uh, meet-cute type of feel to it when they lock eyes and begin to talk and kind of measure one another's penises to see who's the bigger stud. Um, but it does have this... I, I really feel you can cut the sexual tension with a knife in that moment. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I think another moment that also belies this idea is uh, one of the locker room scenes where uh, Maverick and Iceman get in one another's faces. And uh, Val Kilmer does this little bite action at uh, Cruz. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, when he's standing behind him talking to him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it, it's it's... It is weird. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, again, it makes complete sense um, if, if these two are both homosexuals, but it doesn't make sense because the film is coding that and it's hiding uh, that nature uh, within the film, which is fine. It's, it's totally uh, a thing that's going on and is a thing that's absolutely there. 
Um, one last thing I'd like to talk about in terms of analysis of Top Gun is the use of soundtrack and uh, just the use of music. Uh, Arthur, I know you didn't like the movie very much, but I want to take you someplace um, that we haven't been in a long time. I want to take you to the danger zone. Run the highway to the danger That's zone. That's right. I, I like Danger Zone a lot. And that's, you know, I mean, it's become a cultural thing. It has become such a signifier, I think, in pop culture at large. And, you know, uh, I think Archer uses it and references it quite a bit. And just, you know, a lot of movies, uh, Hot Shots, uh, you know, kind of took off of uh, uh, Top Gun. But um, that song, and, and, and it's really nice because it becomes a running motif throughout the film. They're playing those bars several times, I think, in the opening and a couple of the early dogfights. And then when it gets to the... Because I was reading an article about the Danger Zone sequence. And when it actually gets to that sequence, that that song comes out in full. And it's really cool. That song's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the other song that... It's the it's the motif song with him and Kelly McGillis' character. Oh, Take My Breath Away? Yeah. I don't I don't go for that one. I, I Okay, well, I have um, memories with that particular song that... um. Okay. That make me like it a lot. But that's probably because of who I was with and what was going on. Well, that's fine. I just, and and, and that I think, I mean, Danger Zone is obviously very 80s, but I feel like that grounds, uh, Take My Breath Away grounds this a lot more in that 80s feel uh, where a lot of the, you know, the score and stuff do as well. I like the song that they sing when they're doing karaoke. It's the song. Oh, you've lost that loving feeling. Yeah, 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 that's a lot of fun. Um, And and the way they play that and Great Balls of Fire are fun. I, I think Danger Zone, I mean, may kind of you can infer it a couple different ways especially with i think this gay reading because of how taboo gay culture was in the 80s and early 90s you know especially with that you know that sequence that goes on there i like the song and i think it adds some thematic elements to the rest of the narrative yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that, you know, we talk a lot about visual pleasures uh, with narrative cinema, which is um, sort of taking from a, a title from a very famous article, a psychoanalytical feminist, feminist article about the male gaze yeah. uh, by Laura Mulvey. And, uh, but there are definitely aural pleasures as well. Um, A-U-R-A-L. Pleasures. Thanks for clarifying. Yes, um, you know. <laughs> Got to be careful. Enunciation is important, especially <laughs> in a, uh, you know, purely audio medium um, or purely aural medium. You are a very case. cunning linguist. <laughs> I, I am. I'm very, very cunning in my linguistics. But nonetheless, uh, good night. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. That's what I have to say to that right now. I'm, my face is turning a strange shade. Uh, Arthur finally got me. It's been a long time. I think you got me again, brother. Uh, but what I would say about that is that one of the things that film can do and really do well is they can introduce a new song. Take My Breath Away and Danger Zone were both new songs sort of produced, uh, released for the album. And then uh, the use of sitting on the dock of the bay, the use yeah, of Yeah, I Great like Ball- that sequence. Uh, it's, it's a good song, and it's a good sequence. Yeah. Uh, the use of Great Balls on Fire with Goose playing it uh, there in the uh, the bar on the piano by himself, and that cuts to uh, the Jerry Lee Lewis version uh, thereafter. And, and all of that sort of usage, is it, it pulls in uh, strings of nostalgias, things that we like to do for fun anyway, and what it does is it increases the fun level of a film that may not be carrying that much fun of itself and i think maybe your reaction probably speaks to some of that i would say so because as i was watching this film i kept waiting for danger zone to start playing and so i liked keep hearing those kind of lead-ins into it before we actually get the big climactic 
uh, song to play. I mean, it's not the climactic moment of the movie, but it is a very climactic, uh, I think, moment when that song hits. Uh, finally, you know, it's what about two thirds through? Probably about that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's it's that kind of had me kind of had me hooked throughout the film to to it, be waiting for that. There's a brief coda of it very early in the yeah. film, also, but yeah, yeah that the, the big moment he's talking about does happen much later uh, in the film, and I, I think that use of scoring and then the use of a motion picture soundtrack for additional revenue uh, that's going on here as well. I mean, Top Gun is one of the best selling uh, movie soundtracks uh, yeah. out there. You know, next to uh, probably Batman Forever. And uh, you know, a few other yeah. pretty pretty amazing soundtracks. I mean, for the most part, it's really solid soundtrack. I, I really do enjoy it. Oh yeah, I own it. So and have for a long time. Uh, and it's it's a lot of fun. And again, oh, part of the fun for the film again. I'm thinking about this: a 12 year old, nine year old boy uh, is that owning the soundtrack. They've listened to this thing on repeat. They know all the tunes, and so there is a, a way in which they were sort of geared up and jazzed up for this, uh, knowing these things were in this film that they had not yet seen. And uh, even though in the theater you probably would not have owned. Uh, the soundtrack at this point, you know Otis Redding, you know Jerry Lee Lewis, you, you know you 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 know these uh, these artists and you know this music and the other songs, uh, although dated and very 80, Kenny Loggins is uh, is very eighties dated. Same with Take My Breath Away, definitely with that with that really strong uh, reverby bass that comes in. Uh, that the very very eighties tastic. Yet those are the, those are the formulaic pop hits of the time, and that was a pop hit. Uh, even Take My Breath Away was getting pl- lot of play up until the middle part of the 90s oh yeah um as i can remember a few dances um but we'll not talk about that (laughs) at this time uh so my point being uh there's a lot going on with the film top gun i think we've brought some analysis for a two-man show arthur gordon what do you think i want to bring up one more thing oh do do so is tom cruise the biggest blockbuster action star of all time Ooh, that is i mean how are we going to gauge that Box office revenue, staying box, power. I mean, well, box office revenues is something we could look up, I suppose, and, and Google it, and we'd find out. And uh, is that accurate? Is, is Tom Cruise the one who's made the most money? I don't know. I just, I mean, the guy's been around, what, since the mid-1980s? Right. And, I mean, Top Gun is still before, I mean, Tom Cruise's biggest star in the world in the early 90s. Right. Uh, and you've got a guy who's still a top box office draw now in his, what, 50s? In his 50s. Uh, Although he is also a vampire. He should be called yeah. Orlock. Yeah, he has aged a lot better than his co-stars in this movie. For real, though. <laughs> but, I mean, you look at something like uh, Live, Die, and Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow from a couple years ago, uh, Oblivion, uh, the Mission Impossible franchise. It feels like the guy can't make a mistake as opposed to someone like Will Smith or maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Arnold may be more memorable because I think... He was the 80s. I mean, I think he defined a generation. To an extent, I feel like Arnold's more prolific. Okay. You know. That's fair. And I think that's true. I I guess maybe is Tom Cruise underrated as a blockbuster star? uh, I mean, because I I do think people tend to still think of him as Jerry Maguire. They still tend to think of him as a heartthrob. They still think of him in terms of, uh, like, the Rain Man Rain Man, yeah. You know, and he, but he's a great action star. He is. I mean, honestly, he is best. As an action star, yeah, and because he's got charisma for days, those boyish good looks, and all that sort of stuff that's working for him. You know, uh, Arthur sent me a link to the Jack Reacher two uh, trailer uh, this week in the group chat, and I am all in. I am all in. Jack Reacher wasn't a great movie, and I don't care. I'm going to watch this movie, and I'm going to have so much fun. <laughs> I'm probably not going to like it a lot in a lot of ways, but I'm going to have Cruise fun. Cruz has so much charisma, yeah, and it's ridiculous. He is a fascinating man. 
Yeah, and I think there's an interesting reading there for Star tourism also. Yeah, and perhaps to even divide uh, Cruz's oeuvre into two different types of works. Some of his more dramatic work. Yeah, uh, you know his Jerry Maguire interview with the vampire. Oh, uh, the firm and a few good men. Right. Yeah. Uh, versus his action hero stuff um, like uh, Top Gun or the Jack Reacher films, Mission Impossible, etc. So on and so forth. Well, there you go, dear listener. There you've heard our analysis in sort of tag team square table fashion. Uh, we hope you've had a good time listening to it, and we'd like to hear your feedback about that we've already spoken to you about how that can all happen but we now come to a point in our show where we must render a verdict about this film is it a shelfer or is it trash and if it's on the shelf what else should you watch if it's in the trash what instead should you watch arthur gordon what do you think brother shelf or trash else or instead don't break my heart i'm going to i gotta trash it oh man i think it's trash i don't you, think you, you need to watch my this breath away oh, i'm sorry <laughs> That's that's what happens when you're on the highway to the danger zone. I guess so. Um, and so instead, I think you watch. I I think you watch Days of Thunder uh, because, as opposed to this, I had fun watching Days of Thunder, and that's something I can't say for that one. And they're very similar in the way they're structured, the way they are put together. Uh, but you get Robert Duvall, who adds a lot, even though he's just being Robert Duvall. Uh, he is a guy I love, and I think Tom Cruise is at another level in that movie as opposed to here. Uh, check out Tombstone because. When you talk about Val Kilmer, that's really about the only movie you need to talk about is Tombstone. Um, also, check out Independence Day, which has some fun dogfights and some fun uh, military stuff going on. Will Smith, it's another blockbuster. Besides, this is dropping on Independence Day, so it's So apropos. there is that. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's my picks for Elser or Instead. Okay, well, I'm going to go um, from, the, from the good Top Gun to that which is weird. I am going to say Shelf. I like this movie, and I have fun watching it, and I think people should have fun watching it if they're doing it right. Um, sorry, Arthur, you're doing it wrong. I might have been. Yeah, but that's okay. We're still friends, I suppose. Yeah. Because I can't find any others. Moving on, uh, <laughs> what else should you watch? I don't know, Iron Eagle? I was going to ask you about that. When Because yes. when does Iron Eagle come out? Oh, I don't know a year. I couldn't. I want to say 87, 88. Okay, I say so it's real close, later. right? I want to say it's later, but don't quote me on okay. that. I don't have the information before me. Because Iron Eagle also spawned like four sequels or something. It did. It did. Never say die. <laughs> and so, um, and a lot of White Snake, you know, yeah. which is excellent. I just, you know, love me some 80s hair bands. And so that's a lot of fun. And, you know, Lewis Scott Jr. I mean, yeah. Yeah, who, who's a guy that doesn't do much. How about. Um, Top Gun with Nick Cage. Would that be something that interests you? Yeah. Okay, Firebirds, 1990. Nick Cage flying Apache helicopters. He's in <laughs> training school. It is It is a complete ripoff of Top Gun. Awesome. And uh, Cage's problem is he's got a eye dominance issue, and so he's got to work that out with a female instructor who happens to work at the school. Again, it, it really is the film. Also, there's a moment, because Nick Cage is a brilliant Apache helicopter pilot, in which he channels Muhammad Ali, shouting, I am the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, dear listener, that moment alone is worth the price of admission. Awesome. Firebirds, 1990, Nick Cage, find it. It's something it, else. It, it, it's disposable. I mean, I would probably, yeah. if we were doing that for this show, I would probably end up saying trash for that film. But to watch it with Top Gun is your best day ever. Yeah. So uh, there you go, dear listener. What do you think about Top Gun? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? We'd like to hear all that feedback. We would like for this to be the most feedback-tastic episode of the Good Trash Media Network's entire history. So please, please blow us up because neither Arthur nor I run the Twitter nor the Facebook and those who are not here will have to deal <laughs> with all the feedback about a show that they did not participate in, and that pleases me because I am not a good person. All right, Dustin. I guess it's that time in the show. 
Even though it's our blockbuster marathon, you somehow still got a host pick. Hey, that's how counting. So works. what is this? What are we doing here? Some uh, French neorealism, Italian neorealism, some uh, French avant-garde, or uh, you know, what are we doing here? Mexican cinema, surrealism. I, I can't even. I can't even imagine what you're going to subject us to next week. Well, insofar as I really wanted to submit you guys to some Brazilian magical realism, which I did not do, or perhaps even a. Brazilian post-colonial cinema, or just, you know, Brazilian porn. I didn't know what I was going to do, <laughs> but um, I opted against all of those options, and I decided I will play the blockbuster game, Okay, and I will select a blockbuster. Oh, here we go. What's all it right. going to be? Well, okay, let's clarify. I will select a film designed to be a blockbuster that likely could have been a blockbuster. However, it had the great misfortune opening in uh, May of 1993 against another film that was a true icon of summer blockbuster film. It opened against one film called Jurassic Park. Oh, that little independent joint with uh, Sam Neill. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a very, very small picture. You yeah. may have heard of it. You know, there may even be a show back in the archives about all of that. But uh, yeah, very, very small film that sort of uh, eclipsed all other uh, things. Yeah, all other things and everyone else who came. Uh, although I can remember, I saw Jurassic Park on its opening weekend, and then I did see this film the next weekend yes. in the theater. And it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. All right. Well, it's, that sounds a little better. It's meta. Okay, we like meta. It's funny. Well, that's subject. That's subjective. It may be lethal weapon all over again. It is last action hero. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, I can't be, wait. Yeah. This was the first movie I went to see by myself in theaters without any kind of parental guidance. Really? Yeah. Well, you have irresponsible parents. That's probably fair. I uh, know. I don't know. I don't know how old you were. You were what? What? Nineteen? Probably when they finally let you go by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's really irresponsible. Yeah, it was a second run theater. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you still weren't old enough, Arthur. <laughs> I'm never going to be old enough, no, Vampire you're, Man. You're, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to look at Last Action Hero next week. I wonder what the guys are going to think about that. I'm sure they'll. I, I think. Well, I think Alex will be excited because it's the Schwartz. Yes, it and is. You got to love the Schwartz. Yes. I love when the Schwartz awakens. Yes, the Schwartz awakens. <laughs> I was going to make Spaceballs jokes, but I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, but I'll tell you what, dear listener, take a look at Last Action Hero, take a look at Top Gun, and most importantly, after you do those things, have a conversation with somebody, because movies are so much more than just 90 minutes or 120 minutes and the bucket of popcorn. Movies are about the conversation. That's what makes watching them worthwhile, so keep watching, and we'll see you next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.